Okay, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. And looking back at chapter 4, we had seen the temptation of Satan to Jesus. Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness after Jesus had revealed who he was when John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River. He began his ministry, but right before really beginning his ministry, he went out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And during the end of that fast, Satan showed up as our Lord was at his weakest physically, because after 40 days of fasting, not many people have ever done such a thing. In fact, only two other people in the Old Testament have have ever fasted for 40 days. That would be Moses and Elijah the prophet. Our Lord and Savior was the only one to have ever fasted that long in the New Testament. So Satan showed up to tempt him. And he showed up to tempt him, to get him to worship him. He was trying to tempt him with all of these things. Like if you do this, right? If you if you were to go ahead and throw yourself off of this cliff, your angels will come and rescue you lest you hit your foot or dash your foot on a stone. I know you're hungry, so turn these stones into bread. He was playing games with the Lord. And, and Jesus knew what he was doing. See, Satan, he, he has no boundaries, you know. He, he got thrown out of heaven because he thought he could dethrone God and take over. Because Satan was the most beautiful of angels and one of the most powerful of angels, he actually enticed a quarter, or a third, I should say, of heaven to come down with him. And that would be in the fallen angels. Satan has power. Satan has ability. He, he has attractiveness to him. And so he, again, will stop at nothing. If he's willing to come and to tempt our Lord into worshiping him, what more would he do to anybody else in much weaker states? Well, Jesus proved who he was to him. He proved who he was by refuting him with the word of God. See, Satan tried to give scripture to him, but he misinterpreted things, so Jesus corrected him on it. And so we have... Power in the word of God. We have power through his word, through the spirit of Christ who is in us. And so he revealed that. He revealed that to Satan of who he was to the point to where Satan finally fled. So shortly after that, Jesus encounters some of his first ministry uh, experiences of the hardships. Because afterwards, after he was done with Satan, he was beginning to teach in the synagogues. And he started to have a little bit of opposition from the Pharisees, who which were the religious leaders at the time. The, the law abiders and keepers, and, and ones who enforced the laws. So they, they would basically question him in the synagogue of certain things. And they never really seemed to like anything that he had to say. And, and so they always questioned him. They always seemed to basically set him up for something. And, and, and what a shame as it is that, that we still see that today amongst, uh, amongst believers and so on and so forth. And amongst uh, um, people who are trying to do the Lord's work and people are, are questioning them. And even sometimes in the church as well. Others have motives and have uh, reasons of doing things. You know, it's interesting. I heard a concept that seems to be very true. That in ministry... That when you're a when you're a pastor or if you're any form of a leader, you definitely have two targets on you. You have one in the front and one in the back. The one in the front is normally the attacks from the world, but the the target on the back is normally done by those within the church. And so Jesus said that a prophet had no 
honor in his own country. They didn't believe who he was. This nice young man, the carpenter, who worked in his father's carpenter shop. That's all they really ever thought of him, because they questioned that. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Isn't this this, this nice young man who just used to basically make furniture? So Jesus, again, showed who he was as he was, as he was healing people. As he was casting out demons. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. We covered so much in, in uh, Luke chapter 4. And again, you can go back and listen to it. But we're going to be going into chapter 5. And we're going to see the calling of people. We're going to see the, the power and the ability of our Lord. And so we could uh, turn to chapter 5, if you have a Bible, to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to be looking first at verses 1 through 7. And it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from there and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, as they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. You know, in this chapter, Jesus is teaching a multitude and what he does is he sits in Peter's boat as the place uh, is the place of service. This Lake Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee, so they had two different names. So, in what we can see in our Lord in his example of ministry is that it had nothing to do with ministry being in confines of some form of architecture, a synagogue or a temple. Today, it's in modern day buildings. See, in the other Gospels, thousands followed him to hear him teach as he sat them down in the grass. And if you're familiar with the, with the well-known book of Psalm, chapter 23, which is, The Lord is my shepherd, and he leads me beside still waters, and he, he lies me down in green pastures. These people got to experience that Psalm of King David. See, the Lord, he went everywhere. Where, where there was people is where he went. He didn't care about teaching in the temple. He didn't care about the setup of a synagogue. Because where there is people, there are souls in which Christ came to save. You know, it's interesting to see that whenever the apostles, who were fishermen by profession, whenever they were on the shore, they really didn't ever seem to catch too much. But until the Lord showed up on the scene, that's when they did. Then their catch was overabundant, actually to the point where their boat was sinking. You know, it's, it's amazing how we, in our experiences with whatever we do, we tend to tell the Lord how it is. No, Lord, that will never work, you know. We've been, we've been there all night. We've been there. We've done that. You know, I, I've done this for a while, Lord. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it's amazing that someone may have invented, you know, a car tire, and, and I believe the credit goes to, jo, uh, to John Dunlap of Scotland for that one. But they, they could not prevent flats from happening. They can't, re, they can't prevent the, the tire falling off of the car. But I, I'd rather rely on the Lord with me than John Dunlap in a car ride on a rough road that would cause a blowout. 
than, than to be with a, an expert that can't do miracles. See, he knew what to do. He knew where to be. See, this was Peter's livelihood. And we see the proof of our Lord's providing when we are in the boat with him. And still to this day, we should call upon him into our boat because there's only so much we can do outside of him. As we continue, we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 16 in chapter 5. And it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus to Simon said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it happened when he was in a certain city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Just as Moses commanded, however, the report went around concerning him all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he healed, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. You know, P- Peter did what most should, uh, should have done, you know, fall on her face in recognition of his divine lordship. Uh, which is the first requirement to coming to God. When Jesus approached the disciples... He told them to follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, as it started with them and twelve apostles, it was an act and and a requirement that was universal. From there on, after the twelve, it's calling all to be fishers of men. You know, as of this ministry, a voice in the distance, you know, someone told me once that, you know, uh, you know, you know, many do what I'm doing. You know, you, you know that many do what you do in this form of work. And my response was that, yes, I, I definitely realize I'm not the only uh, fisherman out there. But there's a lot more fish in the sea than there are fishermen trolling the waters. And, and so by this, they displayed their discipleship by, by forsaking all other things. As the Lord said, you cannot love other things more than I and be my disciple. And, and in the display of examples, the Lord still went into solitude to pray. You know, Luke delivers the simple aspects with the miracles. Uh, Again, for him to be a physician and to have witnessed an automatic cleansing of an uncurable, horrible disease such as leprosy could not go unsaid. Uh, But the fact that he was always in prayer didn't go unsaid either. Uh, Peter was fascinated by the miracle of the fish caught, right? And it goes from one miracle to a very different one. A leper approaches Jesus, which in the law, they were to stay a certain distance away from people. And they were supposed to announce out loud that unclean coming through, so that way everyone could avoid them on the street. Okay, because it was an unknowable disease. It was uncurable, which was basically a death sentence for anyone who had it. It was a flesh-eating disease that slowly ate away people. And these lepers would live in leper colonies, which were outside of the cities, where, where they would live in caves. 
But in this divine appointment, one was at the right place at the right time. You know, this particular leper somehow knew what the Lord could do. He would not have, uh, interesting, he would not have uh, hung around society to watch his works much. See, but, but a leap of faith was shown which obviously pleased the Lord. And by that the Lord touched him and said, be cured. You know, the leper, the leper is worn out in public very often. And so this guy knew who he was. And the Lord at times commanded those that he healed. He did, he did tell them to tell no one. Tell no one who healed you. And why? Because he was waiting for the right time of his revealing. But nor did he want to bring attention to himself either. He, he never promoted himself. But yet his following became great. As we today should be ambassadors of the Lord. As one who saved us. And one who actually heals us to this day. I, I am always privileged to pray for anybody. To pray for anybody who's, who's sick. Or, or, or going through some sort of infirmity, physically, or whatever the case may be. And all we do, all we can do is ask for the Lord's healing. He has done some amazing things, our Lord. He's done some, some amazing things to this day. Crazy miracles that we've heard from people that, that have been uh, stricken with diseases and cancers and whatever have you, and then they go back to be checked out and it's automatically gone and the doctors are baffled by it. Well, the doctors that don't know the Lord, of course they're baffled by it, but there's some others out there that do know the Lord. And they know where the healing came from. For our Lord is the greatest of physicians. And so we must remember that. We must look at these, these writings of Luke to remember who our healer is, who our redeemer is. Because it is he who heals all things. It's he who gives the physicians the ability as, as we're reading the gospel from a physician right now. And I praise God, I thank God for, for all people of all walks of life that he is allowed to be used in this form of work. Because it's God's hand on their work as well. So let's continue in verse 17 to 26. He says, And now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that he, the Son of Man, has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. 
And, and this one is one of my favorite stories of faith in action. A group of friends who risked themselves in faith of Christ and his abilities. You know, I've heard a saying once that uh, about good friends, you know, versus true friends. And, and, and here we have a paralyzed man who was in need of healing. And they knew where Christ was. And they did everything possible to get him in. They actually climbed up to a rooftop with him and broke through the roof. And, and it was a hole big enough for a man to go through. See, roofs then were mostly, uh, most likely thatch and probably some form of tile. And it said that they lowered him down from the rooftop. You know, this would have been, this would have put everyone of them in physical danger. But to them it was worth the risk for the healing of their friend. It would have been something to see as the Lord was preaching, and then debris is falling, and then this man is lowered in front of him on a rope and a bed. You know, there was no crying out, there was no request, there was no begging, it was just this man hanging in front of him. See, they knew that by just presenting him, what would happen? He was able to read the minds of the Pharisees in their doubt and questioning, and more so, he was able to see their faith that he could restore him, and he was pleased by, by their both uh, the diligent care of his friends and more so their faith. And I remember a pastor mentioning how his wife had a, had a brainstem issue. It was a life-threatening one. And, and he went to his pastor, a very well-known and loved and respected leader, for prayer. And was expecting, he was expecting this long and powerful prayer. I remember him talking about this. And I know this pastor well. He's with the Lord now. And I had the, the blessing of being baptized by this man who he's talking about. As did my wife with me. And he came to him and he told him the situation about his wife's brainstem and, and the fact that it was life threatening. And he said the prayer was, Lord, it's, just, it's a brainstem. And that was it. <laughs> and he said he walked away thinking to himself, like, that's it? I was expecting something a little more, a little more dramatic. I was expecting something longer and drugging out. I was expecting a form of, of, of a powerful prayer for my wife, he said. And he said for a while. He said for a while I was a little distant from him. I, I was, there was a form of disappointment in the prayer. But you see, his wife was healed from it. And then he realized, he's like, you know, he goes, he knew what he was doing. And I figured it out too. When he, just by the prayer, he just said, Lord, it's a brainstem. What is this to you, Lord? And he knew it. He realized it. And it's kind of the same thing that happened here. In a form, it was, <laughs> he, his wife was lowered in front of the Lord and said, Lord, this is what we have. I know you can take care of it. And she was healed by it. And, and so again, I love the stories of the miraculous healings. And I love the abilities that the Lord shows from up in the heavens. That he can still not have to be here in front of you to touch you. And for you to be healed. But again, sometimes people aren't healed. And there was a, and there was a will for that. What that is, I could not tell you. But what I could tell you is, is that he maybe he just wants us home with him at some point and he allowed it to happen. And sometimes he heals us because of the plans he has. All I can say is to be faithful. All I can say is to be continuing 
to stay the course because the bottom line is whether we're stricken with some stricken with something or not, our time will be up one day. But it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to show the faith. And may we do so diligently for one another, in ourselves and for one another, because that is the one thing that pleases the Lord, is that, again, faith and obedience and humility. The three things that I've learned from His Word and from my experience with Him. In verses 27 to 32 it says, After these things, He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick... See, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so what we have here is another unlikely candidate as a disciple. And that would be Matthew, the tax collector, called as he was sitting at a tax table. See, if anyone gave up much, it was actually him. See, the fishermen were in a low position uh, career-wise. But as a tax collector, this was an ancient corporate well-to-do hated and ostracized by the, who were hated and ostracized by their fellow Jews. He, he gave up he gave up a high-paying job to follow Christ, and, and it was something that he couldn't go back to if he had to work outside of his calling of ministry. Once you left that position, that was it. But but in his case, that would be the best thing that could have happened to him. See, Christ told the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees that those well didn't need a physician. Matthew got, got well by associating with Christ. You know, you didn't eat with people of this type in the Jewish culture, see. To them, it would, it would, be, like eating with, uh, it would be like eating on the ground next to the dogs. But you see, Christ, he always met people on their turf. It, it was like an ambulance who came to help you right where you fell. And it's like ministries. I've heard people uh, venture into very hard and dark places to help or to bring people to Christ. See, no one should uh, no one should want to return to the muck and mire of a swamp when crystal clear water is in your grasp to drink. And that's what our Lord came to do: is is to bring us that crystal clear water, and to bring us out of the mire and the muck of the swamp that we came from. Never to want to go back to such a thing. As we continue to look here in verses 33-39, we continue to see, again, just, just wonderful things here. Uh, but, you know, with, with the good things comes the hardships. You know, Jesus, again, we're seeing, we're seeing the brutal, honest truth of ministry. We're seeing how, how even though our Lord healed many and, and anybody who came to him, he had opposition even from those who followed God. And we're going to see in verses 33-39 as he's questioned now. And it says, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John, that would be John the Baptist, fast often and make prayers? And likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. 
Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new one does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So they questioned him, and, and some did it out of spite, of course. And a lot of times it was in regards to the Sabbath, but in this case it was fasting. But what's interesting is the separation outlook of John the Baptist's disciples in Christ. See, yes, John had a following that he taught, but those of Christ were actually chosen appointed. Uh, John the Baptist was there to point people to Jesus, not himself. So why ask Jesus, you know, uh, why they did things different? For one, he was the, the he was the standard bearer. He was the exception and the rule. He spoke of the bridegroom and the wedding feast, which was one of the most joyous and celebrated times in these days, where a wedding feast would actually last for a week. And he spoke of his followers having the same joy. See, later Jesus also taught that uh, when you are fasting, don't make it known to people like the hypocrites did for self-recognition. So I'll repeat that. He told them in, in the other Gospels, he says, when you are fasting, do not make it known that you are fasting like the hypocrites do. It was out of self-recognition, but a time for fasting will come for them. But it wasn't right now. Uh, our Lord spoke a lot about parables and using um, the wineskin as an example was as a wineskin that would uh, hold wine. You know, it wouldn't hold it because it would uh, it would crack and deteriorate. Like a new garment patched uh, of an old one, it, it's a mismatch. You, you you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. You can't patch a, a new patch on an old garment. And and he was he was the chance that he spoke of in the parable. The change, I mean, he was the change that he spoke of in the parable, and he gave them the chance. To be a part of. See, I like what the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read that to us in Ephesians chapter 2. It's verse 14 through 18, which I'll read real quick. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. And he came and preached peace to, uh, to you who were afar off, to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And, and he came to, he came to reestablish and to bring everyone into the kingdom of heaven. See, there are many who say or think that the ways of the old are always better. Well, no longer is the, the requirement of an animal sacrifice needed for atonement of sin. He, he took care of that once and for all. You know, it says as old engines last in a car, it was due to the changes of oil. <laughs> you had to have an oil change which helped the, the lasting of the engine. But as Christ said, I have not come to demolish the old covenant, but to fulfill. 
and, and fulfill it, he did, because over 300 prophecies came true in regards to his coming. But, but as for things new, well, he makes all things new. But in order to experience that, he must be received and then followed. But if you really want to experience a renewal, then may you have a genuine love for the Lord. See, it's amazing that as we read about Christ, we learn about Christ, and even come to serve Him, but to not love Him in truth, well, then we could never truly know a true fulfillment. So if you feel led to receive Christ as your Father, as your Lord and Savior, see, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you're going through right now even. He wants you. He loves you just the way you are. But I've said before, He loves us the way we are, but He loves us too much to leave us this way. It's not about receiving Him in order to get things that we want or what we need out of Him. But you see, we all want somebody who loves us, right? Well, there isn't anybody out there who will love you more than Christ Jesus. There isn't anybody out there who loves you more than Christ Jesus. Not even your own parents, as, as hard as that might seem. He loves you so much more than them. And we must love Him more than anybody. Because I don't know anyone who would die for the sins of, a, of an ungodly world. But He did. And He's alive and well today. So I want to invite you to receive Him. I want to invite you to know Him. I want to invite you to love Him. In a relationship that is beyond the greatest you'll ever have on earth. If you feel led to have your sins forgiven, if you feel led to say, I want to be in heaven with my Lord who died for me, then you can do so by one simple prayer. And if you want to receive Him, say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to cleanse me of all of my sins. And Lord, I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross. And I ask, Lord, that you would receive me now, Lord, as one of your own, as I receive you as my Father, my Lord, and my Savior. And Lord, may you receive me when my time is up into your kingdom, Lord, as I am now one of yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as always, it's a blessing and an honor to be of service to you in the Lord. So I ask that you would just continue to seek Him. I ask that you would continue to follow Him. And may we together get to know Him more and more. So I want to thank you for hearing a voice in the distance. And most of all, I want to thank you for hearing His voice, which is the voice we should be hearing. May God bless you.